You're listening to Dodge Movie Podcast. Your hosts are Christy and Mike Dodge, the founders of Dodge Media Productions. We produce films and podcasts, so this is a podcast about films. Join them as they share their passion for filmmaking. Welcome back, everybody, to the Dodge Movie Podcast. This is episode 96. We are talking about The Night Before, directed by Jonathan Levine, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Seth Rogen, Anthony Mackie, Jillian Bell, Lizzie Kaplan, Michael Shannon, Mindy Kaling, and a, a bunch more of other recognizable folks. It's got a good cast. The DP is Brandon Trust, and you'll recognize that name because he was the director of An American Pickle. And he's also known for This is the End and The Disaster Artist as the DP. And Jonathan Levine wrote it along with Kyle Hunter and Ariel Shafir. It came out in 2015 and we, I, I'll speak for myself, discovered it last year. I don't remember. No, I would never, I would swear I never saw any trailer or advertisement or discussion of this film. A hundred percent. So we found it last year. We watched it and we were like, oh my gosh, this is hilarious and we need to talk about it. So when I knew we were doing a month of Hanukkah slash Jewish films, I knew this had to be on our list. But when I was talking to a friend, um, Superfan Lee, in fact, he had seen it and it's it's one of his yearly must watch. Well, at least for the last seven years. Yes. <laughs> yes. The synopsis is, on Christmas Eve, three lifelong friends spend the night in New York City looking for the holy grail of Christmas parties, the Nutcracker Ball. Get it? <laughs> <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> yeah. So, unrelated to that, Seth Rogen is at, I think, his funniest in this film. Really? He, yeah, I mean, he's at his best. I mean, this isn't the funniest he's ever been, but this is him doing... Him. <laughs> yeah, and it's interesting casting that they basically cast Seth as a guy who does a lot of drugs and then does silly things. <laughs> anyway, not important right now. A nice Jewish boy who goes around and does... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Alrighty, so I have got, I mean, we had a a lack of taglines, and then this week, they're making up for it, I have five taglines from for you to choose from. Okay. Alright. Three wise men, one wild Christmas. Okay. Okay. Alright. Alright. All right. We're, we're dipping our Good. toes, yeah. getting our feet yeah. wet. Bringing joy to the world. No. No. <laughs> their past present and future all in one night nope i don't think that's a good one because it harkens to the dickens a christmas carol and this isn't i mean there have been a lot of remakes of that story but this one isn't yeah, the it. only connection to that is there's like michael shannon's character gives him the weed of christmas past present and future it's a very light connection i would say no on that one as well yeah the Perfect Stoner's Christmas Movie. Okay, spot on. <laughs> Although, I think I like number one is my running. I, th I, I think so, but I, The Perfect Stoner's Christmas Movie describes it, it very well. Yeah. Okay, last one. Three Best Friends, One Epic Party. Nope, first one. Yeah. So they did the same type of thing where it was like three of something right. and then one of something else. But I think the first one, Three Wise Men, One Wild Christmas. Yeah, yeah. I think that works better. Yeah. So that's kind of fun. All right. 
My one bit of trivia is there are many references to other Christmas movies right. in this film, like Home Alone. There's a couple references. And further evidence, our For family has a, an ongoing battle. I believe it's two oh. to two. Well, so two people are wrong. <laughs> that is Die Hard a Christmas movie or not? Absolutely not. <laughs> Except that... There are many references to Die Hard, including a character who likes to imitate Hans Gruber. Okay, that person can be wrong, too. <laughs> I find this is proof, and so I'm going to hold on to this. Uh, you, you can. All right. You can hold on to that. But everyone knows A Lethal Weapon is a Christmas movie, but Die Hard isn't. The debate continues. <laughs> well, and that's a point of engagement. Our listeners can <laughs> weigh can in. Everybody, weigh in. Yeah, call in. I or know email what Superfan Lee feels. Oh, he's he, told me. Is he on the right side? I think he's on your side. Okay, all right. <laughs> I noticed I didn't say the correct side. I heard that. <laughs> I'll just give a shout out there. Uh, we have one uh, Superfan Sandy would want to know that at the one hour mark, there's a vermin alert, but <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, gosh, I don't know if I need to start making that as a separate category. <laughs> well, I wasn't trying to add. That's why I, I, I shouldered well, the weight of that one for you. I do have something I borrowed from Doug Benson, not for emetophobes. So I do make note <laughs> of when someone vomits on screen. All right. Kick us off, Michael. Tell us what your pickup line for the night before is. Here's a little story I like to tell about three best friends and their first Noel. Interesting tie-in because this line is delivered by a person who is also in the recently dropped Christmas classic Spirited. Why do people keep putting Tracy Jordan in a Christmas movie? <laughs> and I think it's because he is so not Christmas. It's for the humor of <laughs> that that voice and that delivery, which, you know, I'm sure at home he speaks with eloquent execution. <laughs> Would you please pass the gray poupon? <laughs> I hope he does. Yeah. But then, you know, kind of like Bobcat Goldthwait, when he gets on set, he's got to put that voice on. So, um, yeah. So that was the pickup line. Yeah. Is he annoyed that he started it? Why did I start talking like this? Yeah. Yeah. He probably is. Is like he's trying to break in the business. He wanted to do something to be different. Yeah. And then it stuck. And, and he's it's like, stuck. Oh, now yeah, I got to do this. It. He calls up his agent. Oh, is there any way you could get me a different part? <laughs> Maybe some voice work. I only have one note for cinematography, but what did you think of the cinematography for this film? So this is a film that I think the cinematographer's goal was to stay out of the way, and I think it, it worked in that sense. I There was nothing in there where I said, oh, that's fantastically good, or ooh, that's shamefully bad, right? It was, it was good cinematography, but I didn't feel like... They were really trying to push the boundaries with the images. Right? Well, there there was one thing that you noted, and then I couldn't not see it for the rest of the film. Right. Oh, th that is true. This was their signature piece, I should say. There was many points throughout the film. They put a hot spotlight above one character shining down on them. So... I, I never got that as like it was somebody trying to be clever for the real. I felt like that was uh, a choice uh, from the director that the the camera department was just 
reflecting, but maybe I'm wrong. But... I really, I really, really, really wish that I could have found an interview with the, either the director or the DP as to why they did it. And I don't know if you remember the party at the very top of the movie where Jillian Bell and Seth Rogen, I believe it's her sister's house. Yeah, it's her sister's apartment or house. Yeah. They show, um, there was this great behind the scenes, which was just kind of fun because you got to see, I never realized how much they do in the studio. Like there were the, the scenes with Michael Shannon were done on a set, like the car and there was green screen behind the whole car that was done inside. Wow. I think the limo was done on a set inside. Uh, there was another car scene. Except for the stunt work, presumably. Yeah, like when the limo got hit by the tow truck, that was a practical in an intersection in New York. But I was just like, wow, it's amazing how much does not get. I just I was watching the movie and I just would have assumed that they shot that all over New York City. Yeah. Uh, Okay. so now as I check my notes, though, there was one thing that maybe this goes in the category of it didn't land it. Maybe the way they intended. Can I tell you about the hot light, though? Oh, sorry. Yeah, oh, back to the hot light. So in this behind the scenes, the scene where he's kind of interacting with his nieces, there's the hot light over what would be the coffee table. And I noticed there was a white cloth, which would reflect. Yeah, it would bounce that. That. So they, there was something about high illumination that they were trying for. Well, the reason I, I said I didn't think it was for the camera department, it was for the director, is because it was so hot. So hot. Oh, it was just really, really... Like, you, would, you wouldn't do that in other movies. No. Someone would look at that. And they were impractical, too. Like, we noticed, yeah. I think, was it when they went and picked up Ethan, right outside his apartment, there was a yeah. hot light on Seth's head like directly above an apartment door there's not a light shining straight down like i immediately when i see it think there's some gaffer standing off screen with a light on a pole right and then just inside the apartment there's an equally similar positioned light just inside the door so you'd have a wall sconce or you would have a centrally located light in the ceiling but it wouldn't be Right inside the door. And I, I just want to let the listeners into a veteran podcasting trick because I demonstrated <laughs> holding that up for all of you to see. Yeah, so did I. Because Pointed podcasting to the is a visual. <laughs> anyway, but there was there was uh, one thing to cinematography that I found fun, but maybe wasn't intended to be fun, is when they are reenacting their annual tradition and they're at Rockefeller Plaza in front of the big Christmas tree and Ethan shows them the three tickets to the Nutcracker Ball. The camera is a steady cam and it's circling mm-hmm. the three of them over and over and it reminds me of that famous shot in Passenger 57 where and it didn't make the final cut. Buddy Joe and I uh, found uh, watched this an early release and it was a nonstop circling, and we almost got vertigo from watching it. <laughs> so now I'm especially sensitized to any time the Steadicam is circling a, a group of people. So that was kind of fun. But also, I have to say, tip of the cap, maybe this <laughs> it makes up for it, is when Ethan goes to see Diana at the end of the film. They're standing on a porch. I think it was an overcast day, or they scrimmed it well, but it was gorgeous soft lighting on both of them. 
So I, I, I think Lizzie Kaplan probably is pretty photogenic to begin mm-hmm. with, but boy, that scene, they both were just looked gorgeous. Mm-hmm. It was really well done. Mm-hmm. So for the writing, the film starts off and it's being narrated, like you said, by Tracy Morgan. And it's very much in the vein of the night before Christmas. Yeah. And they even rhyme, right? Mm-hmm. In the same kind of way. And I think it has a similar meter and all those poetic thingies. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this film was improvised. The dramatic moments were per the script so that they could keep, you know, kind of on a steady story track. But they, I think when you have Seth Rogen and all these funny ladies and Seth actually was impressed. He said Anthony Mackie is pretty good at improvisation. I, I was going to say you, you don't really associate Anthony Mackie with with comedy or improv uh, nowadays, most people probably think of him from the Marvel universe, but uh, I think he did well. And you had mentioned in the tagline, the three wise men, and it did dawn on me that often depictions show one of the three to have a very dark skin tone. So that matches that as well. And they do establish in dialogue how these three very different people could become friends. I was just going to mention that. I, I thought it was kind of clever because it happened with, and it took me a second to figure out, oh, here's some exposition. Yeah, it was really well done. They go back to Anthony Mackie's mom's house, which they would have gone to. And Seth is looking through the yearbook and they start talking about remember this and yeah, remember yeah, that. Yeah. So it's it's educating the audience as to, and it's like you said, explaining how would these three guys, one's a jock, one's clearly a nerd. One's probably like what, like an emo writer, poet kind of, yeah, yeah, musician. So how would these three kids have connected in high school? So I liked that scene because it wasn't the overt, we're going to tell you how these three, (laughs) and it happened like almost like mid film. So that, I liked that too. Yeah, I thought that was well done. I don't know how much of that was done by the original writer, but that that was, uh, I agree, that was seamlessly inserted in there to answer that question. And I think, you know, asking people to wait 45 minutes for us to explain it was reasonable. Yeah. <laughs> right? We noticed Nathan Fielder is the limo driver. So for <laughs> any of you who know him from, he had a show on Comedy Central and then he has a a show, and I'm forgetting the name of it, but I can put it in the show notes, a show on HBO Max that I forced Mike to watch. <laughs> it was You were somewhat willing. Yeah, it was curious. So that was that was kind of funny for us to like, oh my gosh, look. Because our first watch, we didn't know of him. So we just, you know, he was like a random stand-in or actor. Yeah. Joseph Gordon-Levitt. <laughs> He sees two Santas, and they're not behaving very Santa-like. They are not. And so he kind of chastises them and says, you know, right. children believe in you, and mm-hmm. and they expect a certain image from you, and you can't be drunkenly or, yeah. you know, disorderly like you're being right now, and you'd be ashamed of yourself. <laughs> and they end up getting into a fist fight. <laughs> <laughs> And Santa says, I think you're sublimating. <laughs> yeah, it was funny. I think this is about like more than this. And, and Ethan says, it's only about this. And then he says, I think you're sublimating. But yeah, so line. one one of the uh, one of the Santas is played by Jason Matsukis, who I know is Rafi from The League. Uh-huh. And I think he's funny everywhere. 
But at one point he yells, I teach third grade, bitch. <laughs> and it was just to see a drunken Santa shouting at somebody <laughs> is inherently funny. And that to me feels improv. Yes. Like yeah, the director yeah. just said, uh, Jason and the other guy, go. Just yeah, because they're funny. Go nuts. Hire the best people and then let them do their job. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. One of the things that I absolutely loved is... And I guess you have to have a taste for this because somebody made a comment about, oh, this is just Seth Rogen being Seth Rogen. But isn't that why we like Seth Rogen? <laughs> but he's high throughout most of this movie right. on a variety, a cocktail, as it were, of of right. drugs. And any time that he is kind of that hypervigilant, kind of freaking out, <laughs> paranoid yeah. is funny. And one scene is uh, he goes to Midnight Mass with his wife and despite her telling him to run the other way <laughs> and he's wearing a star of david sweater and there's a great interchange there oh yeah and then the second one is near the end of the film a a, a well-known i i assume pitcher because why would it be that big of a deal either he's, he's a, a quarterback is he a quarterback oh okay yeah. But it was his left hand, so... He could be left-handed. Okay. But he's at this club, and he accidentally... <laughs> Seth sticks something through his hand, and there's the, a lighted cross behind him, and Seth says... <laughs> oh, and they the guy's nickname is the Messiah. Right. Because he's such a great right. player. Yeah. And Seth goes, it's happening again. <laughs> By the way, uh, for the listener, I was also acting that out for you so you could see... I just love it. Oh yeah. my God, it's happening. <laughs> well, I, in like in Midnight, Midnight Mass, he said something like, we didn't do that. Or yeah, it he was... points to the Jesus up on the yeah. cross and he goes, we didn't do we that. We didn't do that. <laughs> um, so that's why earlier on I said this was kind of Seth at his best. Yeah. I think that that paranoid. But I, 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 I have to say this, you know, we talked about not minding that we didn't know why they were together until halfway through the film. Mm -hmm. Ethan finds exactly three tickets to this mysterious ball. There's a lot of stuff here where it's by the premise, by the bit. And I bought the premise entirely, right? Yeah. I, I, I'm not saying that I'm looking at this saying, oh, that doesn't make any sense. I timed it. There's no way they could get from that stop to there. None of that. However, there's a point, a plot point around Anthony Mackie's character starting to take steroids to be in the NFL. And I'm sorry, you don't get to 34 in the NFL without steroids. I mean, I don't think you get to 22 in the NFL without some sort of assistance there. Mm -hmm. So that, to me, while it was important to show his character and he and that was what he reformed, right? It's like, you know, him shooting Greedo or whatever. It's his is the thing that allows him to get better. That to me, was kind of. I, I feel like most people who follow the NFL would have a hard time believing that y you could be a wide receiver at 34 in the first place, but without some sort of or a lot of uh, enhancement. I don't know that that's possible. So that was to me that was one thing that just kind of I I couldn't get past. Which is weird because there's basically an angel of weed in this film. So what am I complaining about? <laughs> I wonder why they put that in there because the whole point kind of of this one last night and why this party was so important is because they had been trying to get to that party for 10 years now and they finally were getting getting to go and the other kind of you know what is it create the stakes like in, yeah in storytelling like the reason sure. this night was so important is not only that but seth rogan's character isaac was was impending fatherhood 
was upon him. His <laughs> wife was very pregnant. This was probably going to be his last night kind of hurrah before yeah, the baby yeah. was born. And all of their lives were kind of maturing and growing. And they had been doing this Christmas Eve night together because Ethan's parents died 10 years ago. And so his buddies didn't want him to be alone. So they were all kind of maturing and changing. And Isaac's life was going to go in the direction of fatherhood and and becoming a family. And he would need to focus on his own family, not kind of this found family. And I feel like Anthony Mackie's character, do you remember his name? Chris. I feel like Chris was also changing and the guys kind of didn't like it and they were calling him on it. And I don't think you needed the steroids. You could have used the fact that he's becoming commercialized. Right. The fact that he brought, you know, he got him the Red Bull limo, but then he had to do. Yeah. The promos. Right. And he was always kind of on his phone and you could have thrown in some lines about him carrying, you know, I'm so close to a million follows or stuff like that. That's showing like, dude, you're losing touch with reality you think that this social media world is more important maybe than even like us and so i feel like you didn't need the steroids to be the thing that they were calling him on they could call him on you're losing sight of who you truly are well or even if you wanted the roids because you wanted that scene with him and his mom his friends could have just confronted him on the fact that he's been using them for 12 years it doesn't have to be a, a, a new thing, in my opinion. A new thing. But what, when was it spoken that it was a new thing? In the subway car. Oh, okay. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. But when we talk about f- filmmaking, one of the things we like to talk about is independent filmmaking. And I, I think this is a case where you mentioned how much was done on set uh, or, you know, in like a warehouse or whatever. But the where that reminded me of the warehouse of that party. And that's an interesting thing that... As an independent filmmaker, you could not afford to build that party set. You probably also couldn't afford to get Miley Cyrus to show up. (laughs) But then there is, when I look back to Chasing Amy, where they have a concert kind of scene, but it's in a club. So see, it's, it's smaller. So that's one of those things where I'm curious how much you feel like that showing the giant party, the extent of that party, how much was that necessary from a story perspective, could that film have worked if the super crazy party was smaller, but it had, let's say, celebrities, and that's why it was a big deal to go there, right? Or did you need that entire warehouse of a rave in order to establish why that was so important that the characters got there? Did you, I don't remember, did we see an overhead shot where you see like hundreds of people? I feel like they were smaller. Yeah. And the way to do that, I think, is similar. You brought up a couple weeks ago when we shot Blackpool, a black box theater where, you know, all the walls are black. And I remember that they talked about, and I remember kind of in film school, I was talking about this, so forgive me anybody who knows the language better than me. I may not use it correctly. <laughs> but there's a way to do the lighting so that the fall off, I believe it's called, yeah, makes it so just outside the light is not visible at all. Right. And we were doing that there. And I feel like from watching that scene, I think it was the impression that it was a large warehouse full of people. And I think they would do it in a way that 
it would create right. this smaller area, but your imagination fills in the right. rest of the people. Yeah, I think everything except Miley Cyrus singing on stage probably was more like that. I feel like with when Miley was on stage and there was the proposal, I felt like there was more. There's a lot. But that could be very clever filmmaking, right? The way they shot it and edited it could have mm-hmm. given that. But I was just thinking, uh, foreshadowing for our next episode as mm-hmm. well, when I'm watching these films, I'm thinking like these things stand out to me as the person who thinks, okay, that's a lot of extras that I now have to wrangle, right? right? So like may- maybe something about uh, a movie about chess champions because you only have two people and they're sitting at a quiet table in a cafe. It's it. It's easy to shoot. I love it. Ever since, gosh, it feels like in the last few months you've been thinking more and more like a producer. <laughs> a producer. <laughs> and I'm loving it. Yeah. <laughs> since, yeah. since you write all of our scripts. And I just, as I said that, um, now I have an instinct to write a film about chess players. So if anybody you know, has any suggestions for conflict, let me know. All right. Is there anything else I kind of took over in the writing section and I didn't let you chat? <laughs> well, no, that's fine. I, I was able to, to bump in there. One thing I, I thought was um, interesting was I saw actually two inciting incidents, right? I think the nominal inciting incident is when Ethan finds the three tickets. Mm-hmm. But when... Jillian Bell's character gives Seth the box of drugs. I was like, oh, like from a story perspective, that triggers the like the rest of the chaos, at least for his character. Yes. Right. So that was kind of fascinating to me, not following the really strict three act structure, maybe. And I really enjoyed the Jillian Bell's character. Yes. Her kind of interaction with Seth. And then he leaves this famous like voicemail for himself <laughs> and and I enjoyed this is future Isaac <laughs> her um I enjoyed how her she reaction yeah how she was able to put it in context of like he was high as balls and he was just saying silly things but then she's like okay that's enough like I don't need to to hear the whole thing right but that's just funny so I enjoy I like I thought her character was awesome I totally agree with you I think very 80s movies and 90s but even Today, I think we see the stereotypical pinch face type A, hates his buddies. I wish he wouldn't hang out with these people. Like, and I just, that character seems so one dimensional and predictable and we all hate her. And, and like you said, we didn't need that here. And we, I don't know if we do necessarily some storylines, I guess, maybe hinge on someone dating somebody who is just awful or married to somebody, but she could be a cool wife. I love that she was like, hey, you're going to have to really step <laughs> yeah. up. Your life's about ready to change. Go have one last, like, yeah. hurrah. Wee! And, and what makes it funny to me, I think, from uh, the setup of the joke, was that she talks multiple times about how he's been so not like that. He's, like, he's really gotten his act together. And we see earlier, and this goes to hair and makeup, when he was younger, even before we get the dialogue that established everyone thought he was a stoner, the fact that he braided one little bit of his beard, I mean, and his giant kind of Jufro, like, he just looks like a complete stoner loser. So then you see him, he's kind of clear cut. And then you hear in dialogue that he's an attorney, mm-hmm. right? So he's really straight laced. And she's like, look, go. And then you get the feeling that that wasn't exactly where she was hoping he would go with his box of drugs. <laughs> and then I love the line in there where it's like, wait, 
you only have one joint? And he's like, yeah, she doesn't understand like the proportions of drugs. So it was obvious she wasn't like this was her getting out of her comfort zone to do something for him that she knew he would enjoy. But like you said, look, in in a few short days, this is going to be like you're going to have to lock this down. So go nuts. I, I, you're right. I love that difference of the traditional the wife that's, you know, so uptight and he has to break loose. And then at the end, she kind of grudgingly mm-hmm. accepts him back. This was like she was laughing at him. Mm-hmm. And I and I love that. And loves him for who he is. Right. Yeah. 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 I like that relationship. And I love her. She's so funny. All right. Anything else or should we move on? Let's move on. Okay. So I don't have anything for editing, but for costuming. I mean, I love those sweaters. <laughs> the sweaters Seth Rogen's has a giant blue Star of David. <laughs> it's like they all have the traditional kind of like uh, quote unquote ugly sweater. Chris's has the black, <laughs> the black Santa. And I like he goes, you know, in a, I think it, it was, I don't know if it's on the subway, but he's mad. Yeah. And he goes, um, am I slightly racial? <laughs> Racist sweater. <laughs> Right. And and then uh, JGL has a traditional Christmas one. So I love those sweaters. Yeah. And like with a lot of movies of Christmas ilk, they shot it like in July. Yes. So they the said they were all hot. Which I think you would be even in December. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. The sets, like I said, I will, like I, I'm going to link this behind the scenes featurette and you can see all the different times that they weren't actually in New York City, but they did film some of it in New York City. So Kind of like the whole city, the subway and all that stuff was like, you know, one big set kind of. I want to talk to the folks who had to make that tunnel of lights. <laughs> I, I don't know. I bet production design kind of digs stuff like that. I would hope. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I like it. See, and for sound, I just have, so they go very iconic. They do this every year. They go to FAO Schwartz and they play on the toy piano And that kicks off a montage with a, oh, they're singing a song that is not safe for work around kids. (laughs) And that kicks off a montage of kind of all the things they normally do, you know, absconding with a reindeer uh, setting. They build a snowman and then like explode it with some firecrackers. Mm. So it's all the debauchery that they normally get into every year. And they kind of go around the city and do that. Um, Was there any head trauma in this film? I have two notes. Um, one is when Ethan punches Rafi the Santa. I'll call that head trauma. Mm-hmm. And the other, which is uh, reminiscent to me of Ruthless People, the coffee mug scene, is when at the Nutcracker Ball, Isaac grabs the three-foot diameter metal ornament, and he is like spinning around because he's high as balls. And he clocks some guy in the face with it. like. And we get the boing. Yeah. That should have been under sound. <laughs> How about a smoochie? Smoochie, smoochie, smoochie. We had a couple uh, couples in this film. We have the one smoochie I noted was Ethan and Diane smooch on her porch at 133.04 at the end of the film. And we're rooting for these two. It's clear early on that they are a couple and they just recently broke up. And I feel like for most of the movie, the audience is rooting for them to get back together. I think all three characters do have a transformative arc, but I think Ethan's is kind of the main arc is for him to get past his grief and uh, kind of get his life back on track. Yeah, it's a movie. It's a funny movie with heart. Yeah. Um. However, it may not be 
a um, rom-com. Strictly appropriate for the whole family, though. No. Uh, um, in addition to the uh, rampant drug use, there's also uh, Diana delivers the line, don't do my dad doggy style. <laughs> Yeah, I would say this is this is one of Seth Rogen's R-rated films. This is an R-rated, yes. not like American Pickle. This one's R. Um, how about a driving review? So there's really not a whole lot of, of driving there, but I did make a note that Michael Shannon, as the angel of weed, drives a, a silver 1991 Acura Legend. And I don't think that's a very common car for drug dealers, but I don't know. So if anybody... Knows a friend, certainly not themselves, who would purchase weed out of a car. Maybe they could share what the <laughs> common car is. Um, I would think VW van would be a very popular one. That's a good one. Um, but who knows? So I thought that was an interesting choice. And there's a part where they get to use that car because Michael Shannon inexplicably leaves it running with the door open in the middle of the road. And it's a mitzvah because totally they needed a car at that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, so we go to the numbers. Oh, I should actually say the the one last driving review. Actually, getting back to Nathan Fielder, don't run a red light, especially in a 50-foot-long Hummer limo. Yes. That ends poorly. Yes. All right, should we go to the numbers? Now to the numbers. Okay. This film uh, came out in 2015. The budget was $25 million, and they made just over two times that. With a domestic take of forty-three million and worldwide fifty-two point five million, so a successful film. Rather, it gets a six point three out of ten on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. Critics actually liked this. I guess it's just above fresh at sixty-nine percent, and audiences said mm, not as much, sixty-one percent, but they liked it. I don't know if it was as funny as Office Christmas Party or other similar kind of movies, but I thought it was better than that. Yeah, I agree. I I really enjoyed watching it again um, this year. I think I enjoyed at least Seth's performance more the second time around. (laughs) Yes. I'll probably watch the clip of him in the church on YouTube over and over. That's hilarious. Yeah. (laughs) It comes in at hour and 41 minutes. Like we said, it is rated R. It is a comedy fantasy and it is a Columbia Pictures film. So we watched it on Apple for $3.99. Unfortunately, it's not streaming anywhere. Sorry. All right. So we've got one more film after this one for this month of December. We hope that you all are enjoying your holiday season, whatever you celebrate. Festivus. Festivus is one of my favorites. Yes. <laughs> Some people, yeah. Mm. Happy Kwanzaa. Hanukkah, Kwanzaa, yeah. Christmas. Whatever you do, enjoy yourself, folks. And never forget. Dodges never stop and neither do the movies. Thanks for listening to Dodge Movie Podcast with Christy and Mike Dodge of Dodge Media Productions. To find out more about this podcast and what we do, go to dodgemediaproductions.com. Subscribe, share, leave a comment, and tell us what we should watch next. Dodges never stop, and neither do the movies. 